Well, my name is Scott Reevely, and uh, I'm one of the pastors uh, at New Life Church, and I'm happy to be part of the team. This has been, uh, this has been a good month for my family, I'm just going to say. Uh, I, I don't know if you remember last time I was here, it wasn't very long ago, I had a brace on and it, I couldn't even wear all of the clothes that are in my closet because of my brace. Well, I was released from my brace this month, and so that's good. My youngest daughter graduated from high school. The next daughter graduated from college. The next daughter had a baby. The next daughter is buying a home, and my son just moved into a new home on Friday. So it's been a good month for my family. <laughs> and that's a lot to celebrate. And things like that, though, are easy, aren't they? I mean, it's just like, please give me more of those. But not all of life's things are easy and happy. I was on a call uh, last night with a woman in her 30s whose husband was in the hospital. And that was after participating in a funeral for a man whose wife was saying goodbye to him after 60 years of marriage. And see, life is made up of both of those things. And it doesn't take much preparation, it doesn't take much help to say, yes, I'm thankful for all the things there are to celebrate. On the other hand, we do need to remember that those things we celebrate aren't going to be the things that ultimately bring lasting happiness and fulfillment. But the, more importantly, I mean, those things can come and go and we can be just fine. But it seems to me that the job of a pastor is to help with those other times, to get out ahead of those other things, so that you can have a foundation in your life that doesn't crumble when you get the phone call or when you have to drive your husband to the emergency room. I mean, I wish for you nothing but those high point experiences. But the reality is, the others happen all too often. And my hope and prayer as your pastor is that your roots would go down deep so that you're not shaken when those difficult times come. Because really, if you think about it, I mean, if you think about what it would mean to have two little ones at home in bed and have your husband in the hospital, how would your faith do then? Would anxiety or fear or anger get the best of you? The thing is, you can only build that foundation ahead of time. You can't, build a, you can't wait till the house is built before you put the foundation in. You've got to start ahead of uh, the, the calamity so that when the calamity strikes, you're solid. And so this morning, we're going to be uh, starting to spend some time in the Psalms this summer. And this, the first one we're going to look at today is Psalm 80. So I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 80. And in Psalm 80, there is this experience of uh, hardship, of calamity, of sadness. And in the midst of tears you can appeal to a glorious shepherd 
as a savior and a friend to finish the work that he started in you. That's really the good news of Psalm 80. You can appeal to a shepherd as though he were your savior and friend so that he would finish the work that he started in you. Let's, let's read Psalm 80. I think, I think it'll be worth reading the whole thing aloud and, and letting you listen to it and see it and uh, essentially participate in it. It's meant to be sung, it's written to the choir master, according to the lilies, a testimony of Asaph, a psalm. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. You are enthroned upon the cherubim. Shine forth before, Ab- before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh. Stir up your might and come to save us. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be saved. O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You have fed them with the bread of tears and given them to drink in full measure. You make us an object of contention for our neighbors and our enemies laugh among themselves. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade. The mighty cedars with its branches. It set on its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. Why then have you broken down its walls? So that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit. The boar from the forest ravages it and all that move in the field feed on it. Turn again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand planted, for the son whom you made strong for yourself. They have burned it with fire. They have cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. Then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life, and we will call upon your name. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine, that we may be saved. In the midst of tears, you can appeal to a glorious shepherd as your Savior and friend to finish the work that he started in you. Psalm 80 is, uh, in some respect, heavily stylized in that he uses several different images, but there are three stanzas. You probably noticed it as we read. There are three stanzas that are all marked by a refrain. Uh, I don't know if you noticed that at the end. Uh, Well, at the end in verse 3 and verse, uh, I think, 7. Restore us, O Lord, or O God, God of hosts, Let your face shine that we may be saved. That occurs three times. That's the refrain. That's what he wants you to really pay attention to. That's the thing that marks the conclusion of whatever trouble he's talking about. And so I just want to spend a little bit of time on that refrain because we're going to see that three different times and it's going to mark off these different sections. 
The first thing you notice in the refrain is his plea to restore us. To restore us. There is some kind of calamity that's happening to him and he wants to be restored. The interesting thing, though, is that the restore is not uh, maybe the, what you would think about the word restore. Because I think it's like bring us back to our glory, you know, make us great again or something to that effect. But literally, restore us translates a word that just means turn us around. And that surprises me a little bit. I would think that he'd say, oh, make life good again. But I think what he's admitting, even in the refrain, is that he's out of bounds. That the people are out of bounds and they need to be brought back in. They need to be turned around so that they come back into relationship with their shepherd. So turn us around. That's his first appeal. And then the next one is, make your face shine on us. I've uh, uh, been around a lot of people in my life. I've never seen one that has a face shining. And so I don't know that you're to take this like Moses coming down from Mount Sinai with his face glowing. I have, however, seen some people with scowls on their face which would be the opposite of shining, right? Because I think that's exactly what he's talking about. Let your face beam. You know, you've seen somebody who, who, who's really happy. They come in beaming, or they're happy to see you. Maybe a relative you haven't seen for a couple of years, and they're beaming. That's what he's talking about. Let your face shine. It is a, a sign of um, happiness. Uh, One commentator says, the prayer, let thy face shine, takes up the words of uh, the blessing of Aaron, invoking not the blinding glory of verse 1, when he says shine forth, but the glow of kindness and friendship. That blessing of Aaron is one that you're probably more familiar with than than maybe much of the book of Numbers. Uh, Because uh, during the pandemic, this was made into a song that everybody sang and shared and heard on their uh, social media feed, uh, just called The Blessing. But this is how it goes from Numbers uh, Numbers chapter 6. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron and his son saying, Thus shall you bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put My name on the people of Israel and I will bless them. So this prayer that we see here in uh, the refrain is is that prayer, essentially. The prayer that says, may the Lord look with favor on you. May he look with kindness and friendship on you. And so he's asking God to turn them around so that this friendship is restored. That blessing of uh, of the beaming face and the the happy relationship results then in salvation. 
And so the psalmist admits what we know and believe, that salvation only and always comes from the Lord. Salvation is never something that is earned. It is a gift. And here in Psalm 80, in this refrain, it is a gift over and over and over. We see him asking for salvation. So that's a refrain that marks off these three parts. Uh, the first part is the invitation really uh, for uh, uh, the shepherd of Israel to hear. And so he addresses the shepherd in the first stanza. Um, it says, Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth. Before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh, stir up your might and come to us to save us. Restore us, O God, let your face shine that we may be saved. Now I think the most salient feature of this first uh, stanza is the, the address to God as shepherd. And you may not, uh, just by sitting here on Sunday morning, realize that you have been set up for this because the, and, but maybe, maybe you're all over it, I don't know. Um, I wasn't all over it, but when I realized I'd been set up, I, uh, it, I thought it was pretty sweet. And what I mean by that is that beginning in Psalm 77, the, there are four psalms here that all uh, speak of God's role as a shepherd. And I'm going to look at, at the end of Psalm 77, verse 20. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. And then he moves forward a little bit in history in Psalm 78. He chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheepfold from following the nursing ewes. He brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, Israel, his inheritance, with Upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. See, this is a meditation on David's leadership that points us to the greater David who would be a shepherd for his people. But then in the verse that just precedes this psalm, Psalm 79, but we your people, the sheep of your pasture, will give thanks to you. From generation to generation, we will recount your praise. And it's I think it's likely that the Psalms are all stacked together here. I mean, they were all written separately and then compiled. I think they were probably compiled so that we would get to Psalm 80 where we're invited then to really honest, honest and uh, truly believe that God is our shepherd. And so these other Psalms end with the reference to the shepherd but this one, Psalm 80, begins with the assumption that God is the shepherd of his people. And so it is this shepherding of God that is the basis for the appeal that he makes to God. I mean, I'd be just wrong of me, probably, to skip the most obvious shepherd reference of all, wouldn't it? Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. I read that at the funeral yesterday. 
It is this shepherd, the shepherd that leads us beside still waters, that restores our soul. That's the shepherd we're appealing to when we're in trouble. See, one of the things I want you to get as much as anything is when that phone call happens or when that calamity strikes, I want the very first reaction of your heart to be, I have a shepherd who loves me and cares for me and will restore my soul from whatever this does to me. This shepherd is the reason. In fact, you have this shepherd is the reason you can make your lament and your appeal because he is committed to being a shepherd to you and to all of his people. He'll provide for, protect, and restore you. This image goes throughout the scriptures. I mean, Psalm, Psalm 40 is too good to ignore too. I mean, I, I, I have to leave some of the Bible out this morning, I want you to know. But I'm going to probably pull too much in. But, but Isaiah chapter 40, Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and His arm rules for Him. Behold, His reward is with Him, and His recompense before Him. He will tend His flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in His arms. He will carry them in His bosom and gently lead those that are with young. So I, I don't know how often you think about giving up your faith. I know there are some people who do, but to give up that, that's a big sacrifice. To say, you know what, I don't need a shepherd who's going to carry me in his arms when I'm hurting. Who's going to restore my soul and, and watch over me and protect me and come with might to avenge. I mean, what a precious thing the people of God have that nobody else in the world really can claim. And so you appeal to the shepherd first. And then verses 4 through 7 are the expression of the problem. And uh, the expression of the problem is done poetically. I mean, the Psalms are poetry and it's all just beautiful poetry. O oh Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You have fed them with the bread of tears and given them tears to drink in full measure. You've made us the object of contention for our neighbors and our enemies laugh among themselves. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. And so he recognizes we are crosswise with God. Even the prayers of the people meet with God's anger. I mean, you would expect, right, their sin to meet with God's anger. You would expect God to be angry when they bow down to idols. But here he's saying they, God's anger meets them when they pray to him. And you're thinking, wow. And that, that's actually the right thought. <laughs> because they have really gotten crosswise with God. Their sin has led them to such a place that he doesn't even want to talk to them. Okay, that's, that's the expression of the problem. Now, I, I just want to pause and, um, and, and say, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you belong to God's family, you don't have to fear that... Uh, 
God will respond that way to your prayers. Because the Bible tells us that Jesus himself is our great high priest interceding for us so that the, the, the one who delivers the prayer is Jesus himself. Tells us that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groans that can't be uttered. And so the Holy Spirit and Jesus are both representing us even when we mess it up. Even when we don't know how to pray. Now, please don't hear that as an encouragement to get crosswise with God and do everything you can to agitate him. Okay, that's what these people are doing. Don't do that. But because of Jesus, you do have the confidence that your prayers are heard. He enters this in part with the age-old question. The one that I ask, I know, I, don't, I assume you ask it too. Maybe you're just so much more patient than me. But the question is this, right? How long? How long? If you've ever asked God that, I want you to know you're in good company. The people of God have always struggled with God's delays. It seems that God never, <laughs> that's an overstatement, and I trust he won't be upset with me for saying that. It seems like he's never on my schedule. And it's always slower. And so God's people all the time. I mean, that's a, that's a beautiful thing about having a shepherd that leads his, that carries the, the lambs in his arms. You can ask him, how long? How long is this going to go on? Now, it doesn't get much of an answer here, right? But it does seem like I want to ask God all the time, God, when are you going to wake up and fix this? When are you going to help me? How long will this pain continue? <laughs> and the other thing I want you to notice is that this is a corporate prayer. I'm talking a little bit to you like it's individual because you're part of the corporate people of God and you can apply it to yourself for sure. But the reality is this corporate, this is pain that's shared in the community. It's something that, and you've probably heard this in the last year, we're all in this together. Right? It's those things we're all in this together with that he's talking about. <laughs> I was going to say, do we have anything like that? That's causing the community uh, that kind of stress? I mean, that's, that is a question that I want to ask God. I mean, how long, really, God, is this going to go on? And I think here we have permission to ask that. You don't have permission to run away if you don't like his answer. But you have permission to ask and express your heart to him. Then he goes on continuing the, the ex, his expression of the problem. They are fed with the bread of tears. Look at, look at the language, the bread of tears. And they're, they're made to drink of tears in full measure. In other words, they're... <laughs> There are the solid tears and there are the liquid tears. And that's all they get. And that's, that's, that's the level of pain that he's in. Now, I do think that this looks, looks ahead to verse 8, where he's talking about the Exodus. 
Because the way that God treated his people all along, right, at the beginning especially, he did give them bread called manna. He gave them water from the rock. Here's how God treats his people. But that's not how he's treating me. You see, that's where he's struggling now. And so these tears are ever-present. And that's the, that's the rub. The, the tears are ever-present because the enemies and their enemies and the nations hold them in contempt. Uh, they are laughing together about Israel. This one has been, this one has been really, um, I don't know, close to my heart, I suppose. Because the reputation of God is at stake in uh, the life of his people. In the way that God treats his people, his reputation is at stake. And I just think of things that have happened even in this past week that have made national news about uh, the, the church in America. And I know that there have been people among the nations laughing in derision about the church. And that's the source of the tears. That's the source of the pain. And so uh, he's calling on God. I mean, the, the other thing I would have you notice about this, and it's going to become more clear when we get to the next stanza, is that the trouble, the trouble they're in, really comes from God's hand. I mean, God's being faithful to his covenant. Those people, the people have rejected him and gone to idols, but God's being faithful to his covenant, and the trouble is on account of him. He brought it, and they're appealing to him because he can take it away. And that, I think, is something that uh, I want you to recognize is that whatever trouble it is, whatever trouble we're talking about, you know, even our global pandemic, is, is trouble that God could take away. And it is, it is okay to appeal to him. Please appeal to him, right? Because God is, I mean, these things are not out of his control. And the psalmist recognizes God's control both over the calamity and over its release. And then he hits the refrain again, restore us, make your face shine on us, and bring us salvation. And then we get to the third stanza, verse 8. And this one is a, this, it's like he's, I don't know, a middle school poet. Can I say that about God's word? He's a middle school poet. Because he doesn't stick with any metaphor he's used before, right? He just like introduces a whole new one here. I want to write about something else now. And he talks about a vine. So he was talking about a shepherd earlier, and now he wants to talk about a vine. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations, and you planted that vine. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. Why then have you broken down its walls so that all who pass uh, along the way may pluck its fruit? The boar from the forest ravages it. 
All that move in the field, feed it. Turn again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see and have regard for the vine. The stock that your right hand planted for the son whom you made strong for yourself. They've burned it with fire. They've cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you made strong for yourself. Then we shall turn back from you. Give us life, and we will call on your name. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. And here really is where I get the central idea to ask God to continue uh, and bring to completion what he started, because that's, I think, the function of this vine metaphor, is that God pulled this vine out of Egypt. I mean, it's like you're moving from one house to another and you dig out this uh, plant from the garden and you put it in a pot and you water it and it's in the back of the station wagon while you're driving across country and you put it in and you hope that it takes root. And it does. And it takes root, not only does it take a little root, it takes a lot of root. And it grows all throughout the land. And God's purpose here is with this vine idea is that God was going to bless the world. God intended to give life to the world through this vine. We know that because of the promise to Abraham. You will be a blessing to all the nations. We know that 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 intent is reiterated throughout the books of Moses. And we have God's intent to bless the world through this vine. Yet, after it grew to fill the land, tragedy strikes. The walls are broken down. The wild pigs eat the grapes. It's not, this should not be lost on you. Okay? The, the, the lack of affection that uh, the Jewish people have for pigs is legendary right and what he says is the pigs are in here eating your vine i mean the worst possible outcome and then he essentially prays god do something and it's interesting what he wants god to do in verse 14 is to turn I want you to see that in verse 14, to turn. Now that's important because it's exactly the same word that's in our refrain. The refrain is, God turn us. God turn us. Here, the, the heart of his appeal now is, God, would you turn toward us? You see the... You see what their sin has done to their relationship with God. It's completely broken it. They are expecting God's blessing from this vine. They're expect, expecting God's blessing as this shepherd who cares for his young. Like Psalm 23 suggests. And what they're getting now is a boar ravaging the vineyard. The walls are down and everybody's taking a piece of them. And his... All to God is, God, would you turn? Would you turn? 
No, I, I just think that's wonderful because I think a lot of times God has turned away from me. It feels like God's turned away from me. And I totally want to ask him, God, would you turn around here and let us have a conversation? Only to realize that I too have turned away from God himself. And my prayer needs to be, God, would you turn me? And when I turn, would you turn? And let's get this relationship back where it needs to be. That's the prayer here of Psalm 80. I, mean, I just think it's, it's beautiful just in, the, just in the turning of this. But he's praying that they will be delivered and saved and be rescued from these, uh, these pigs that are ravaging the, the vineyard. And what this means, I want you to notice this, because you're, if, if your ears are perked up as a Christian, you will recognize some things here. Because it means that he is sending and deliver. Notice what he says. He talks about a man of your right hand, the son of man that you have made strong for your name. He's praying for a deliverer. He probably has in mind a king. Maybe, maybe David the kind of language that you would um, expect him to talk about with David. Uh, or maybe it's Josiah or Hezekiah, somebody later. Somebody who will bring relief to the people of God. But either way, if it's David or if it's one of those other kings, that, that king is really <laughs> only pointing to the ultimate son of man. The ultimate man of God's right hand. Who will be the deliverer? And then what he says there in verse 17. Then we won't turn back. We won't shrink back. Give us life. You see, once you turn, once we turn. Father, once, once you send a deliverer, we're not going to shrink away. We're not going to turn back. We're going to stay firm. We're going to stay in there with you. Give us life. And the people whose prayers God was angry with say, we will call upon your name. He recognizes there is really no reason for shame before God when you have been restored. And so I want to invite you Again, this morning, to trust in God's deliverer, to restore you so there's no shame, and you can have life and be then um, restored to your Heavenly Father and call upon Him with no shame or hesitation. Just one more quick thing about the refrains. The refrains themselves are... the. Mostly the same, but a little bit different. I don't know if you noticed that. Look again at verse 3. It says, restore us, O God. As though there's a distance. And he uses, he uses the more generic term, O God, would you just restore us? We're so tired of this. Then in verse 7, when he's making his appeal about the enemies of God, he brings it, he, he turns the knob a little bit hotter, and he says, restore us, O God of hosts. Lord Sabaoth is the way the King James would translate it. 
It is the God of angel armies. We sing a song of angel armies. That's, that's what he... So he's, he's building this refrain. And then in verse 19, it's not just that. He says, restores, O Lord God of hosts. And this is now, he adds the word Yahweh in front. And so it's a God's covenant name. God, remember your covenant to your people, this vine. Remember your covenant to be our shepherd. Remember how you wanted to bless all the nations through us. Yahweh. God of angel armies. And he prays that way. And I, I just want you to notice that because the character of God is so often revealed in his names. And the, the psalmist knows that and he appeals to God in a meaningful way. Now, what do we make of this? I mean, I hope it's obvious enough that you can make something of it when you get the phone call or when you drive your husband to the hospital, or whatever the case may be. Because the Christian life is built for calamity. I mean, the world is built. The world is full of calamity. It's a good thing that the Christian faith is prepared for it. That's what I'm, that's what I'm saying. And God as your shepherd, God as... And Jesus, as the man of God's right hand to deliver you, this is all part of what uh, the, the grace that you receive when you become part of God's people. But there are some things here that we can see that the writer of this psalm only hoped for. And for me, this is just the sweetest part of the whole thing. He appealed to the shepherd of Israel. He asked that God would shepherd them in the way that the previous psalms had mentioned. But as a Christian, you have something he didn't have. You have a good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. You have a good shepherd that knows his sheep and he calls them by name and they hear his voice and they follow. This psalmist was longing for that. And you have it in Jesus. You don't merely have the Father as the shepherd in Psalm 23. You have the Holy Spirit as your comforter. You have Jesus who is the good shepherd watching over his own. And I don't want you to miss that. I mean, miss how Jesus fulfills the longings of the Old Testament. And if you know the hard things, like my funeral or my phone call to this wife, it's good to have God looking out for you ready to defend you, eager to lead you into green pastures and buy quiet waters and restore your soul. I mean, but that's just the start. I mean, this is, this is just so rich. With, in fact, I am, I am all but certain this was on Jesus' mind. Because you have a participation in this vine that is beyond anything the writer of this psalm hoped for. Psalm 80, there are several times that in the Old Testament that Israel is mentioned as a vine, and I think they all sort of grow out of Psalm 80. Psalm 80 is the central um, 
expression of Israel as God's vine. That God's work in this world to give life and refreshment and joy to the world was going to happen through this vine, through this seed of Abraham, you might say. But then here in Psalm 80, the vine gets ravaged. The, the, the plan fails. Everything's going to pieces. And I suspect that Jesus was meditating on this even uh, when in John chapter 15 he said, I am, you know what he said, right? The true vine. The, the true vine. I am the true vine. The one who, who, who really does complete God's work of deliverance and redemption. What God intended to do all along, he now does through Jesus. Jesus is this man of God's right hand. He is the one that, that God makes strong. And so this redemption comes to us because we are grafted into this vine. I am the vine, you are the branches, Jesus said. But I just want you to think for a second, just before I get too excited about this. <laughs> I want you to think about this because what, what has to happen for you to enjoy the life and the nourishment and the, the refreshment that comes from this vine? What has to happen? If you remember Jesus' words, they're pretty simple. Abide in me and I in you. Or if you like another translation, remain. You know what that means? It means you don't have to do anything. You don't have to do anything. You just need to not leave. You need to hang in there. You need to turn to God in the language of this psalm. So that when the boars come ravaging the vineyard, all you have to do is stay connected to the true vine and you'll be fine. I mean, this, this psalm is just like it's just like a neon flashing sign in the middle of the desert there in first century Israel. They'd never seen anything quite like it. And here it is flashing, pointing to Jesus, saying Jesus is the way. If you miss him, you'll surely be lost. I mean, John's gospel tells us even more. I mean, John's gospel says that Jesus is life and light. You want his face to shine on you? You need to look at Jesus. John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5 says, In him was life, and life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. When it tells us we have life, this life comes from God, and we don't turn back. Verse 18 puts the turning back and the life together. It's the, that's what we mean when we trust in Christ. See, I, I think a lot of us had you know, a, a non-favor done for us years and years ago when trusting Christ meant walking forward and praying a, a sort of a magic prayer. Because what trusting Christ means is, is accumulating all of, all of this uh, you know, backstory about what is God is doing in the world, what he promises to do for those who will actually believe he'll do it. 
and believe that the way that he does it is through Jesus, that's what's happening in Psalm 80. He's giving us that backstory. Light and life and a vine and a shepherd. And all of these things roll into this one man of your right hand, the son of man whom you've made strong, namely Jesus. So that God's favor and friendship shine on you because he loved you and gave you his son. And so I want to say it as simply and directly as I can. You have a savior from heaven, a shepherd, a vine that gives life. Will you turn to him today? There's no reason to turn to him tomorrow. Cling to him today. You might not feel like you need him today, but today's the day to begin to build a life and build a faith that will withstand the earthquakes that will come so that your foundation is solid. And when life gets hard, you are not destroyed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to praise you for your kindness here to give us such a sign, really, that you love us and to, to, to point us ahead to the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. Father, may we trust in you completely. May we trust in Jesus to be this salvation that the psalm longs for. May we just not uh, scoff at what the person who wrote this psalm desired so much. Would you bring into our hearts that same level of desire that we might have Christ. In whose name we pray.